Stay tuned after the episode for the full versions of the songs you'll hear throughout. In 1972, a band from Tennessee would move to New Jersey and quickly become local legends. On the surface, their story seems bookended by two perfect storms, one that created them and one that disbanded them. But that's not the real story. The real story goes much deeper than that. It's personal, not just to the band members, but to their fans. 50 years after their formation, and they still mean so much to so many people. But why? That's the real story. This is Just Can't Wait, a Southern Cross Band podcast. Their story, their words. Michael Dykes. I played uh, lead guitar in Southern Cross Band. I grew up in East Tennessee in Keeksport. And uh, when I was 18, I graduated high school and went to the University of Tennessee. And that's where I got into the music scene because they had a great music scene down there. And uh, I saw the Loved Ones with Bird Burton and a bunch of other guys, and they were really, really good and changed my life. They really did. I was 19 when I got the call to join Cowcatcher. And the year after that, 71, we uh, played in New Jersey for the first time under the name of the Loved Ones. And then we moved back south because we wanted to reform the band, got a couple of new members, and changed the name to the Southern Cross Band. We went through several stages. We we started out as a four-piece band, and we made it. The first, the first place that we played that really accepted us and where we really made it and started playing regularly was at the Jersey Shore in Point Pleasant. And we went through different changes. We had a four-piece band. Then we changed to a five-piece band with a front man. We did a lot of Rolling Stones, a lot of Led Zeppelin, uh, Rod Stewart, stuff like that. And... Uh, we eventually got rid of the front man and the drummer quit. That's when we got Sonny in the band. Looks like it's time to hit the road again. Oh, my sweet buddy's getting tired of seeing me around her place. I need a good guitar, it'll make me sing. Crowded bar will put a smile on my face. Guess it's time. My name is Sonny Pruitt. I was in uh, Southern Cross uh, from March 15th, uh, 1974, until the band broke up, and that was in September of 1983. I had uh, I had become friends with uh, the guitar player in the group, uh, Tiny. We, we call him Tiny. His name is Michael Dykes. I was up there one of my trips to Knoxville. When my band would play in Knoxville, I'd uh, show up to the gig, and quite often... The drummer for them, his name was Benny Blanton. Uh, he would 
he would show up at my gig and say, hey, you want to stay at my place tonight? I was, sure. And we'd be uh, like, it was always just an amazing fellowship of musicians. One of the times I went to Knoxville, he goes, well, this is uh, Tiny Dykes. He's going to be playing our guitar with us. I said, what happened to Bird? And he goes, oh, Bird's moving to Memphis. And he he moved to Memphis to be uh, take on a position at Sun Studios from Sam Phillips, who discovered Elvis, of course. Bird was the best. He was, without a doubt, the best. And he had... He was just uh, incredible to watch, but he was easily the best guitar player any of us had ever seen. So I had this admiration and kind of uh, respect for for Tiny filling Bird's shoes because I mean, to walk in to, to replace the the best guitar player that any of us had ever seen was was a tall order, and. Uh, Tony, uh, he, he he did a great job doing it, I think. And he uh, definitely earned my friendship and respect and everything else. It was uh, we, we hit it off from the time we met. I was in Atlanta, Georgia. It's where I lived at the time. And uh, I was in the studio with this guy. I was working with uh, an old group, Dennis uh, Shows and the Classics 4. And I was actually just a roadie with them at the time. I was in between bands. My band in Atlanta, which I was, had just broken up a couple months before, left me with no gig and uh so i was play working with this guy dennis shows who had a bunch of hits in the 60s and and they were in this studio a really great studio in atlanta studio one it was a a good situation to be in if you didn't have a band to play with but i certainly wanted to be playing full-time guitar in some kind of a group and when these guys called me uh, southern cross called up I don't even know how they found me in the studio either. It's always been a mystery. But the phone rings and it's it's for Sonny Pruitt. And here I am. I pick up the call and they say, well, look, we need a drummer. We had a four-piece band. We needed a drummer. So we we knew Sonny played drums. So we asked him if he would play drums. But he didn't think he could do it. I had stopped playing drums. Uh, I decided to switch to playing guitar. The story they tell me was that we have all kinds of work lined up. They had uh, been very successful playing the Jersey Shore and all these uh, the bars at the time. And um, they had work lined up, and they wanted. And I said, well, I don't have any interest in playing drums. And the way the conversation ended was, uh, well, if we ever want to add another guitar player, we'll call you back. Well, we decided we'd add another guitar player. And... Uh go in that direction and we wanted to get Sonny in the band we thought he'd be a good addition to the band so uh, we called him back and asked him and he accepted and they called back in about two hours and said how would you like to play guitar with us and I said I would love it because it was something I always wanted to do play with those guys this all happened so fast it was uh, when they call me two days later I'm on a plane flying to, to, to Philadelphia and when we got there, they said they were still looking for a drummer. So I called up this guy that I'd worked with in Atlanta. John Terciano was a great drummer. And I told him, you know, why don't you come up and finish the summer out with us? Uh, we have a whole month at this place called the Stone Pony, which is a legendary bar these days. I played the whole month of July there. And it was uh, already booked and everything. We didn't want to lose that gig, of course, because you wanted to have these summer these really good summer assignments like that, right? He came up and just, he definitely blew us all away with his 
talent and uh, style that he had. He fit right in. And John joined the band, too, so we got two for the price of one. He was our drummer until the very last gig with Southern Cross with me. This song for you is right. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Oh, Lordy. We got more people coming in from Jersey over here. I don't believe it. Look out. There you One, two. The early days of the band were kind of rough. We played in New Jersey the first time uh, at Dodds East orange and uh, the place was packed the first night we played there it was just packed out because they wanted to come see us the next night it was empty because we didn't we didn't do that well to be honest with you we played uh it was a really eclectic strange combination of music i wasn't really um it was a terrible combination actually a lot of it was not very not very commercial. <clears throat> I don't know who uh, who chose the song. I guess the guys in the band that chose their favorite songs or something. And we changed our direction of music. We went more toward, uh, well, we did Alma Brothers. We still did Zeppelin and Bad Company and stuff like that. It was kind of weird. When I'm flying up to New Jersey, I had just been listening to the Almond Brothers and Marshall Tucker too, and played some gigs with Skinner. I had this idea that Southern Rock might really be Southern Cross, Southern Rock. You know, it might be a good idea. I could not convince them of this when I first moved here. I actually went out and bought a Skinner album and played it for them. They, uh, they weren't convinced at first. So I had two weeks to learn all the songs, which was... I don't think anybody in our group ever got that kind of a... <laughs> easy, easy, easy into the, the group. I, I had plenty of time to... And plus, I was starting my own new position. It wasn't like I was replacing somebody and uh, having to choose to film like Tiny did with a Bird. So uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting. When I, when I got to the house, we had a band house at the time, down below Atlantic City in a town, beach town, uh, Vintner. And uh, we were four blocks from the beach, had a furnished house. I walk in the front door with my guitar and all, and Tiny and Doug, the bass player, Doug Graham, who's awesome bass player they grabbed my guitar case put it on the floor opened up pulled my guitar out handed it to me and we started learning a song within two minutes of walking in the door i was like the song was southbound from the almond brothers and i was like this is it this is i want to be in a band <laughs> and i'm in a band now this is great and uh, it was it was pretty crazy we had a gig after that i think it was the third third week we were up and a local down there at the shore, a place called Bay Shores. I had been a roadie for Dennis Johnson and Classics 4. And we pulled up to the place to uh, go play our gig. And they had a sign made up that said, Southern Cross this Friday night featuring Sonny from Dennis Johnson and Classics 4. I'm thinking, what <laughs> kind of a false advertisement is this? It was crazy. But um, that was my welcome to New Jersey. I got a hot house, mama. 
in a hot house town. Oh, she's going out every night. Oh, she really gets around. Singing, hey, hey, hey. You know, when I first joined the band, you asked me what kind of what kind of material we did. It was, it was like it seemed like it was whoever's favorite songs, and it was not connecting with anybody. It was too disorganized. When Sonny and JT got in the band, we took off in a different direction and really started to pick up momentum. From the very beginning, the Southern Rock, the uh, Almond Brothers songs, and um, we did a Marshall Tucker song. I played flute on it, and uh, all those songs elicited response from the audience every time. It wasn't until we were in Long Island playing a gig out there, and this booking agent who became our booking agent years later, uh, Kevin Brenner, heard us. And suggested to the guys that we all we learn all Southern rock, and they said, "Sure, let's do it." <laughs> it was hearing him say that was 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 important for us too. We got agents to book us in different places. We started playing a lot of different places and started uh, drawing our own crowd that came to see us. Eventually, uh, we would go back into places like Dodds where we had bombed, and go back in there and just kill. Just kill the room. But Rance left in the uh, beginning of the summer, and uh, I called up my friend Taylor Caldwell. Taylor Caldwell. I played the Southern Cross Band for a little over three years, back toward the end of the 70s. I'm from Tennessee, just like Sonny and Joe. I got into music um, when I was 15 or 16. Sonny helped me uh, do that. Uh, I ran away from home. <laughs> His parents let me stay at their house for one summer. So that's kind of how I got started with it. Sonny called me, I think, in uh, 1977, the summer of 77. Told him the same thing I told JT. Hey, why don't you come up and finish out the summer with us? And if you like the gig, you can keep it. You can help us finish, you know, make our commitments up here. And uh, if you if you want to, you know, join, if it works out, we, we, got a, we got a band here. That's the way bands get together, I guess. So I went up there and auditioned and uh, stayed there for over three years. After we had Taylor, we were playing places. Uh, they were the pretty much the, most of the top clubs, but there started to, started to uh, these huge clubs started to come around. I guess people figured they could, you know, the bar owners realized they could really make a 
make some serious money with these bigger places. My name is Rick Bandazian. I was the co-owner with my brother and my father in a rock club called Circus Circus, later called The Circus, in Bergenfield, New Jersey. Just a little background history uh, very quickly. The drinking age was always 21 in New Jersey, and every other state had their own rules. And all of a sudden, in 1973, they changed the drinking age in New Jersey to 18. And why did they do that? Because the Vietnam War uh, was just ending a few years prior to that. And of course, the big argument was, you know, if I could die for my country, how come I can't have a beer? So with the drinking age dropping to 18, I can't tell you how many of the kids had fake ID. So, so drinking age 18, many cases meant 16 or 17. It was a magical time. I mean, every spring, the high school seniors that are graduating there would be a look on these young guys' faces that, that, that they're going out to go drinking tonight. And it would be, the, it would be just so much fun. It was a, kind of a fun time. It was totally irresponsible, I realize, and, and crazy. And I'm sure some bad stuff happened. But uh, they, would, they really supported the live music. I mean, uh, there, was, there was probably um, 50, 60 bands working six nights a week. I mean, it was pretty crazy. The first two years, there was lines down the street every night. There was many, many rock clubs. I mean, five miles away from us, there was mothers that had a capacity maybe of 1,500 people. And there was the Soap Factory in Palisades Park. Uh, and every one of us, it didn't matter what night of the week it was, they were all packed. We had some of the greatest cover and tribute bands and also a lot of national recording artists. It was interesting because a lot of these bands, like, for example, the Southern Cross Band, they were probably one of the best country rock bands I've ever seen. They used to pack the place uh, and Twisted Sister and bands uh, like White Tiger. They were really outdrawing, in many cases, national recording artists. Um, For example, we had Joe Perry from Aerosmith when he broke up with uh, Steven Tyler in 1982. Um, he went out on his own and called himself the Joe Perry Project. He played in our club, and I could tell you, so the Southern Cross Band outdrew him, White Tiger outdrew him, Crystal Ship outdrew him, but that's just the way it was. We could just see, see the crowds getting bigger and bigger. The bars in those days, um, they were getting us so, so cheap for so long, and when, when we started really drawing, and, and, and of course the Book of Angels wanted to make money too, started raising our prices the bar started bringing us catered food and stuff like this and bottles of whiskey. And we said, just keep the food and the whiskey, just give us the cash. Woo! How about letting go one time? Everybody make some noise out there in the back. Come on. Labor Day weekend. My name is Joe Shannon, and uh, I've known Southern Cross bands since the early 70s. I ended up doing the mailing list for them. By the time the last uh, mailing list I was doing, it was over 12,000 a month. It was kind of it was kind of interesting. Everything would uh, 
be last minute because uh, the manager, John Geffert, was getting places to be booked at sometimes at the, at the last minute. So it was usually uh, a big push <laughs> to get everything out on time. Now, the way it kind of worked was I would deal with the post office. I would actually buy the prepaid envelopes. The mailing list was the exact size of a full-size envelope, so <clears throat> we didn't have to put any stamps on it, but we did have to put all of the, the stickers on it for the names of the people and where it was going. Now, that was done someplace up North Jersey, and... I would usually get that earlier. And the good part about getting that earlier was because you would have to go through all of these names to do away with the doubles. Because people would go to one one club and sign up for the mailing list, and then the following week they would go to another club and you know they would sign up for the mailing list again. So every month there were probably maybe 50 to 100 that were doubles or even triples. So, uh, you know, I mean, there was a lot of money as far as postage and everything else to send out. Now, 12000 uh, it used to take, well, it's my wife now, but she would help me while we're dating. It used to take about three days to actually get out a mailing list for the band. There were magical moments. There was a couple, but there, was, there would be weeks between those sometimes it was uh it was it wasn't all at once it didn't really all connect we all had this vision and uh there's a couple times when i was really thought the band might break up you know many times we were living a very difficult life too we had we none of us had apartments and um after the house in vintner we we only lived there the first year and we were then living in boarding houses and motels. I lived out of a suitcase for about three years after that straight. That is a hard life. So I offered if he wanted to stay. I didn't know, you know, whether he was going to stay all winter or they were going to go down south. But that's how Sonny ended up moving in with me. And uh, then during that period of time, they, they told me how great Sonny's brother was. And I had a sister that lived down in Atlanta. And I had been planning on going down and visiting her, you know, so Sonny contacted Joe and told him, you know, I was going to come down and I wanted to go see his band and stuff like that. I went down and, you know, I told my sister, I said, hey, let's, let's go downtown. I, the band was, was Tristan. And when I went in, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> Sonny was right. This band is tremendous. Joe invited me over to his house one night for dinner. During that period of time, I told him, I said, I told them all about the band, and I think they'd like you to come up just for a visit, even come up for a week just, you know, to check it out and see how you liked it. So I did the best I could to talk them into doing whatever, but Joe made his way up, and the band took care of the rest. <laughs> Next time on Just Can't Wait. It was like all these people wrapped around the building and everything. I was thinking it was some kind of movie premiere or something. I said, what's going on over there? I said, they're waiting for us. I'm like, get out of here. So, lo and behold, I get into this band and it was like a hot box. I mean, it was just like a smoke out. I remember playing the first gig with Gary. And we played South Bend, it was the first song. And when we got through, the people just went nuts. Gary went nuts too. 
I was hard to tame. I got in a lot of trouble. Sitting on this bench, away from 